You're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. All right, welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Uh, this is a uh, bonus edition. We don't typically record on Thursday, uh, but I would imagine almost everyone, not just here in the States, but worldwide is aware of uh, an event that took place in Minneapolis uh, just a few days ago, uh, the tragic murder of George Floyd, uh, an African-American male here in, in, in the Twin Cities. Um, and it just felt like we needed to address this. If we truly are committed to our vision, which is to call followers of Jesus to radical faith outside of the church, how can we let something like this not, how can we not talk about this and, and ask God to have mercy uh, and to show us what role we, we can play? Um, uh, so, so we are very grateful for our guest, uh, uh, for spontaneously joining us here with very little notice. Uh, our guest is Laurel Bunker. Um, she's the Associate Vice President of Christian Formation and Church Relations at Bethel University, uh, the college that both Aaron and I graduated from years ago. We probably won't give you the year. We won't admit that. Um, so, But we, we've gone back and forth. You've been so gracious as to have us speak uh, at chapel at Bethel. Uh, and, and we just, first of all, thank you for being here. Um, thank you for uh, just being willing to speak on this very difficult subject. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me thank you all as my brothers um, and friends um, for inviting me to be a part of this. You know, I, uh, I consider you all and the Steiger family, uh, family to me. Um, your parents have encouraged me to be a stronger Christian, a more fearless believer in the world. And um, and so because of that, I, I would really not rather be anywhere else but here because I know that you all have seen the dark places and you know what Christ can do. So um, I take the invitation very seriously because I know what you all have seen and continue mm -hmm. to see and put yourselves in front of. Um, I, am, um, I am lamenting, I guess if we can say that, I, I grieve the, the, the reality of where we are, right? We've had 100,000 people now die of COVID. 40% of those who have died are African-Americans who make up 13% of the US population. We have yet to do a day of grieving or mourning in the United States. Um, and then we, we add uh, to more police brutality um, and to think that it, it requires, it's not just the murder of George Floyd, and thank you for calling it murder. It's Breonna Taylor in Louisiana, yeah. in, uh, in Louisville. It's it's Ahmaud Aubrey. Um, it's it's this quasi um, apartheid. Show me your papers. You need proof of who you are. Hmm. Uh, white vigilantism that includes many of our police officers. That is a terrifying prospect and. As someone who was related to many police officers, was raised with police, have known and know all of the St. Paul um, police chiefs and many of those who currently are on the Minneapolis force, um, I know that there are really good cops out there whose lives and jobs are now made even more perilous um, because of the actions of four police officers who refuse to protect and to serve. Yeah, yeah. And I think something that you you bring up that is is interesting because often what you the side of it that maybe doesn't get talked about is is the 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 police that are the difficulty that this imposes on them, but it still stems back from the same core issue, right? It's it's not though obviously we don't want innocent cops to be suffering more. It's because of this this racism. It's because of these police and and 
we have to start there to address it there. Um, it certainly is part of the equation, but isn't that where it really ultimately begins is, is that's, that is the core of the problem. Yeah, it's, it's the systematic reality that America has yet to acknowledge its brutal past fully that uh, we don't want to acknowledge that America was built on the back of chattel slavery, that six million, that millions of African people, those who survived the Middle Passage, were sold and brutalized and sodomized and sold away. Um, and what is painful is that for 400 years, many who did the brutalizing are now flipping the story to say it's African Americans who are scary. So the same people who were the brutalizers are now those who are writing the narrative and dare make African-Americans the scary ones, the brutalizers, the ones to watch out for, to clutch your purse, to say, do you belong here? Um, from the White House to the, the House of the State of Minnesota, it was built on the back of, of slaves. And we have yet to acknowledge that. And I think part of that is we've got a generation of people, I think, that are culturally astute, but historically ignorant. And um, hmm. that means, oh, well, you've got a family member who's married outside of their ethnic group, or you have a brother or sister who's adopted, or you listen to Beyonce, or you dated a black girl once. And so that automatically means you have some kind of understanding. No, you don't. Because when it goes down, then you wonder like, well, why are people angry? Or I wasn't there, or I didn't do it. Maybe not, but we have history books that have made heroes out of brutalizers and have refused to tell the whole story of what we did, whether it was African-Americans or First Nations people or Japanese internment camps. We don't wanna recognize that America is a country whose fortunes were built on the misfortunes of brown people. Wow. So what, what can we, what can I do about that? Like I, here's, I mean, it's so ingrained in human nature to be selfish and so hard for me to put myself in the shoes of another. And yet I've had enough conversations to know the experience that so many, not just African-Americans, but black people all over the world have experienced. How do I, how do I feel that and do something about that? What, what do we do? Well, I mean, the first thing that I, I would say and know is and that I know to be true about you all is that you have acknowledged the Imago Dei of people, that there's yeah. no way that your father, that your mother, that you all could do the work you've done if you said, okay, well, we're only going to go in the safe places or we're only going to minister to the people in Amsterdam. We're not going to go to Turkey or we're not going to go to these places, right? The only way that we as Christians recognize our need for salvation is to acknowledge sin that we are in need of a savior. Otherwise, we're gonna keep making excuses, right? That's probably the, the, one of the biggest issues of American Christianity today, yeah. is that we have taken intellectualism and replaced intellectualism for the Holy Ghost. Hmm. We don't wanna be led by the Holy Spirit. We don't wanna acknowledge sin. We don't wanna have to go through the cross. We don't wanna look at the brutality of Jesus. We only want the Sistine Chapel picture of Jesus. We want Jesus is my bro t-shirts. We don't want to look at the brutality of what it took to save our nasty souls, all of us. And until we get to that point and our breath is caught at the reality of our own darkness and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, we couldn't be saved. And it's the same thing I would say in the natural realm that we, until we recognize our own privilege, our own 
sin, our own prejudices, our own, unless we recognize those things, we can't move forward. We can't make a change. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's recognizing that. And I think it's having courage. I think people, largely white folks who are listening to this, every black person's not angry at you. <laughs> We're not all angry at you, but we are angry at the complicity at the refusal, right? Your, your privilege doesn't mean that you need to be complicit. Your privilege doesn't mean that you need to be like, well, I'm gonna look the other way when I'm at the family reunion and jokes are being told, or I don't have the courage to, I'm, gonna, I'm interested in a woman of color, but I won't date her because I don't have the courage to stand up for her to my parents, or um, I can speak all kind of funny vernacular, or try to use the N word or yo bro, or all kind of other foolishness, but you've never done your history lesson. So I would say that before you start to try to be culturally relevant, understand the history and the lack of history that you've been taught. Because honestly, for many of you guys, we've just never been taught right. I mean, if we opened a history book, we, we make heroes out of our founding fathers. And they were men with a vision. I'll give them that. But we don't, we don't want to acknowledge that they were slaveholders. We don't want to acknowledge that they used native people to, to be able to make half of their pathways through. You know, we want to talk about Lewis and Clark, but we don't want to talk about the fact that it was First Nations people that knew those waterways that helped them get through. We want to talk about Columbus, but not the fact that Columbus eradicated African uh, uh, First Nations people and said that he founded America. Brilliant. He didn't found America. America was already here with 5,000 groups of people that you exterminated so that you could bow before you, the, the king in Spain. You, yeah. We've destroyed people's lives and then we dare say, pull, pull yourselves by your bootstraps. So as Christians, we must acknowledge not only the Imago Dei, we, mm. have, we must acknowledge how we have destroyed the Imago Dei or attempted mm. to in our history, in our complicity, in our ignoring in our own fear and in our self-protective yeah. mannerisms. Hmm. So what <laughs> because if, we can't do anything without that. What would you say to someone that's, I, you know, I wasn't there. I, that, that history, like, how do you respond to the reality is like, I'm not personally responsible for that. Like, how do I, how do I react to that? I would say, yeah, I, I wasn't there either but my ancestors were, and your ancestors were, and people who lived alongside your ancestors were, and we have inherited the sins of our fathers, right? Yeah. Yep. We have inherited the misdeeds of them. Um, and and we, we wanna believe that, well, it happened then, so why can't we just forget about it? Because yeah. it, it, it's like a ripple effect. You can't continue to brutalize people, hang people, and leave their bodies to, to be cut down by their family members and not expect what your eyes have seen, right? You imagine what happened, the video that we saw of George Floyd, and you imagine that thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times over history, the raping of mm. people, the throwing children to alligators as bait, and, and there is... And, and then you birth children who, who carry that trauma time after time. It's a compounded pain. Yeah. It is not isolated incident. And yeah. so, no, you weren't there, but you are here now. And you are witnessing what you are seeing now. 
And mm -hmm. so we must say, what is the origin of what we are seeing now? Where did it come from? Yes, we can say Satan, but we all have a responsibility, whether we serve Satan or whether we serve the Lord. So I wasn't there either, but my ancestors were, and they have told me the stories and we have seen the stories. It is, it is, it is chronicled. We can see the stories of lynchings. We can see the, mm. the backs of people torn open. We can see people's fingers bloodied from cotton bowls. It's not as though we are creating history. No. We are acknowledging history. Yeah. And, and when you say that, that it's also part of the arrogance of the modern mindset that says, I arrived on the scene and everything I have is just a product of, of what I did for myself. And, and the arrogance of not realizing that I'm in the position that I'm in, the, the opportunities I've had, the fact that I never, I never wondered if the bills were going to get paid, if there's going to be food in the fridge. I never, there's so much of what I have. I did nothing to earn. And a lot of that is based on this, this extraordinary lineage and history that I just inherited, that I just came into. And so, so much of the cycles of oppression and, and, and lack of opportunity is, is absolutely connected to history. And we're not talking 10,000 years ago. I mean, and, and then beyond that, okay, let's say you forget history. It's happening right now. What are you doing about it right now? And, and you know, we, we've had Shane Claiborne on a few times, who's kind of a hero of mine. And, and something he talks about is that one of our largest problems is proximity. We're just not close enough to it. Would you say that that's part of it? Is that maybe a practical step we could take is, is to, to not live in our little bubbles, is to get beyond ourselves and to, to, to see what's actually happening in front of us? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I would say expose the lies. You know, you're a believer in Christ. Go before the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord, Father, what lies am I believing? Do I believe yeah. that black men are violent? Do I believe that, you know, what are the narratives, um, the television shows, the things that I have listened to that, um, that somehow have created for me a kind of shrug of the shoulders? Well, it, I've heard it, therefore it must be true. No, even when we study Christianity, we know that there were um, Stoics and Gnostics and um, Hellenists, and there were all kind of people in Christ's day and right after the death of Christ that were trying to ignore and deny his resurrection. The Apostle Paul has to speak to that. People who were trying to deny Paul, people who were bringing division, people who were saying you had to be circumcised a second time. Why? Because we want what we want. The Israelites who begged and begged and wanted a king, no man, and so they got Saul, then they wanted to complain that Saul was a punk. We, we get what we ask for, and too often we have ignored the call of Christ. We have ignored, we have taken portions of scripture. So I would say, yes, first of all, let's, let's talk about proximity and, and ask yourself, who do I have that are black friends that are folk of color what have i read that um you know isn't popular isn't populist magazines what have i read um what am i willing to read that makes me feel afraid and can i acknowledge when i feel afraid like oh my lord acknowledge when you're you may not have overt racist actions but maybe your parents do maybe your grandparent does maybe you were raised and your small town in Minnesota or somewhere else hearing your grandparent call those people or the N word or any other things, 
um, recognize not only the history of African-Americans, but recognize your own history. This is one of the things I say to my Bethel students all the time. I say, what does whiteness mean? When your grandparents came through Ellis Island, were they identified as white? Probably not. They were Germans, they were Irish, they were Italians, they were Poles, they were Cretes, they were, and they gave all that up. Why? Because they were, were under a system as well, right? We all know the pecking order, the French, the Germans, the English were at the top, the Poles, the Slovaks and others. Even as a black woman, I understand the history of oppression of white folk but we gave it all up. Jews gave up their names so that they could survive in Hollywood for this fake idea of whiteness. Go back and ask your own families, when did grandma or great grandma stop speaking her own language at home? What did, why did we give up that language? Why have we boiled down our Germanic history to Oktoberfest? Why, why do we think beer drinking and big bosomed women is the only thing that Germany ever gave us besides Adolf Hitler? or the BMW, <laughs> you know what? We need to educate ourselves about who we are and from whence we have come. Do 23andMe, do some of these things to find out your history. And there, there are, because when you do, when I talk about being African-American, to me, that's, that's not just a, that's not a color, that's food and language and mm. sounds and, and sitting on the porch and double dutch and, black eyed peas and greens and talking to grandma and, and, and talking about our heroes. And there's a, there's a narrative that goes with that. With whiteness, it, it, we, have, we have been stripped. You've been stripped and given a narrative of, um, of superiority that has created an us and them. And you don't even know your own stories. Many of my white students don't even know their own stories. But when you do know your own story, then there's a shared story like, wow, you're Irish? Man, I remember when Irish came and they were indentured servants and they came and the great, the plague and what happened and the number of people who left and the way that Irish people were treated. Um, it, there are so many, there's a book called A Different Mirror by a man named Dr. Ron Takaki. It was a book that I found 25 years ago and read in seminary. And it was one of the first books on race in America that was not written by a white person or an African-American, but of a, uh, um, a Japanese man. And it told the story, not just of First Nations and African-American folks, but of the Japanese and the Polish and the Irish. And it was a robust book that helped us to know why racism, what fear tactics Satan has used to create us versus them and how we've adopted that and how Europeans really have adopted that all over the world. I mean, we look at colonialism, we look at how Europe went into Africa and all the parts of the world and stripped people of their identities and put up their own British flags and stole land and diamond mines and everything and, and called people savages. And I mean, the, this, this, the sheer brutality in the sense that we must destroy people's identity in order to advance our culture is not just something that America has had to deal with. All of the world, the entire yeah. world has been impacted by Eurocentrism. And we are all yet paying the price for that. So how do we reclaim or like, how do we fix it? I mean, I, I, I remember I was reading a book uh, not too long ago about Winston Churchill, 
It was, it was called the Hero of the Empire, and he was he went to uh, South Africa, and um, it was it was just a it's just a domino effect of oppression where the British were oppressing the Boers, which were the Dutch immigrants there, and the Dutch immigrants were oppressing the uh, Zulus that were there, and the Zulus were oppressing the the another African tribe that was there, and it just it kind of made me feel like it's all hopeless. We're all, and, and I don't, I'm not saying that to like justify anyone else's action, but it, it was, it gave me a sense of depression. Like what's the answer here? So if we've got this horrible history that affects who we are to this day, how do we do something about it? How can we actually begin to ch make a difference? I think some of it is acknowledgement. I mean, South Africa's acknowledged it, right? They recognize, they acknowledge, they acknowledge apartheid. They acknowledged it and uh, Germany acknowledged and yet yearly acknowledges and never tore down um, and Poland, they never tore down Auschwitz or Dachau or any of those other places. We can go there today because the it's Jewish true. people said never again. Because Germans are finally reconciling and writing into their history. This is what we did because we don't want our children to ever do this again. Yeah. But America struggles. We struggle to acknowledge the brutality. We struggle, and, and and I think people get scared because you've had Spike Lee and you've had others. You know, forty acres and a mule, and people are like, well, if we did reparations, we'd all lose everything. Okay, look, there you go. You worried about yourself. The bottom line is reparations may or may not be possible, but the bottom line is we have to start by a national acknowledgement. And there are, there are people who are doing some acknowledging, you know, that we changed the name of Lake Calhoun to Badeva that I never knew that Lake Calhoun, I couldn't believe that it was named after John C. Calhoun, one of the worst racist, the most, one of the most decrepit human beings in our history. Why? I want to know who in the state of Minnesota decided that they would care and love that man enough to, to, to be in a, in a native state named Lake Calhoun after that decrepit man. You know, so it, that, that's a beginning. But if we're going to keep, as I was on a show on Saturday, if we're going to keep the statue of John C. Calhoun up there, let's have a, an honest representation of who he was. Fine, he was a leader here, here, and here, but he was also a brutalizer of human people and a proponent of slavery. If you're gonna leave it up there, tell the whole truth of who he was so that he's not idolized by little kids who go, wow, I want myself in bronze someday. You don't want that, you don't wanna be that man. Let's look at what pride does. Pride turns people into brutalizers and refuses to see their humanity. So. We're doing that. Georgetown University is finally acknowledging that the Jesuits who founded it sold to over 200 slaves to pay for their buildings. Georgetown finally, I just learned this, finally is naming the building, one of the buildings, the Wilkins Building, after the descendants of slaves with the name Wilkins, um, one of the one of the slaves that were sold into slavery they renamed one of the buildings so that everybody who comes into that building is also told who that person is and is told what those the jesuit priests did so that they can continue connected and not to make sure make sure that all jesuits are horrible people but to say there was a time where people who said they loved god did not see the imago day in god's people and they sold them so that they could keep themselves and their tobacco farms running it's acknowledgement. It's acknowledging 
Henrietta Lacks and that so much of what we have today in cancer and other things became because of the cancer of a black woman that her family was never even acknowledged. It's teaching the Tuskegee experiment. It's talking about the brutality of what we've done so that not so that white folks hang their heads and so that black folks flex and say, now you know how we feel. And there will be some folks who feel that. But it's to say, thank you for acknowledging it so that this permanent fissure, this crack in my soul can somehow be filled with love and with healing. It, it's, it's not a matter of acknowledgement so that we can say we're going to flip the script and now we're going to brutalize you like you did to us. No, no, no. You assume, that's an assumption, that all Black folks are going to flip out. When I came to Bethel in 2008, I had a group of students come to me and say, Pastor Laurel, there's a bunch of students downstairs praying because they're scared. I said, about what? Because they're afraid all the Black people are going to flip out and brutalize all the white people because we have a Black president. I didn't know whether to laugh or to tell them to get out of my face with that foolishness. But see, young people get that passed on from their parents. And I know that there are parents today because I've met them who believe that garbage, who believe that garbage. And so when we start to create images of people, we've got to call that out. George, you know, George Floyd, oh, well, all of a sudden, quick trying to turn him into, well, he did something. Ahmaud Aubrey, they, they, he did something. We always want to try to make Black people brutalizers to justify the, the murder of these people. No, you, you, you don't get to do that. And praise God, there are police chiefs, there are people, there are police officers around the country on Twitter and others who are decrying this to say, you need to arrest them yeah. and you need to throw them in jail because what those dudes did in your precinct messes up our precinct because now we're putting our officers out there and now they got to deal with foolishness because of what, of what was going down in your precinct. So other police officers for the first time are saying, nope, that was, that was, that we are trained better than that. We are not trained to kneel in people's necks like that. You had him down, you had him cuffed. You should have thrown him in the back and left it at that. But instead, you sitting there flexing with your hand in your pocket. <sighs> you killed that man without even a flinch. You're, you're, you had no glaze in your eye, no tear. You let people sit there with videotaping you and you did. You, you, there was no remorse. That's the terror when there's no remorse. No, this man begged. Yeah. And people had the nerve to say, well, if he could speak, he could breathe. Oh. I've heard that. I've heard people say that if he could speak, he could breathe. Are you, are you, are you, what has happened to our humanity? We need to re repent, brothers. We need to lay on our faces. We need to repent. We need to say, God, help us to stop using your scriptures as a justification for our decrepitness. Help us not to run so quick to the cross before the Lord is like, uh-uh, go wash your hands, go rend your hearts and not your garments. You get on your face. Don't come to me quick with this. You go and you lay on your face. Jesus has already done the work. You go do the work. Let's stop using Second Chronicles if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Well, let's get to humbling. 
we, we need each other, brothers. I refuse. And there are people, believe me, we can build walls or we can build bridges. And I am a bridge. And y'all know bridges get walked on, <laughs> driven over. I've got black folks who don't think I'm angry enough at white folks. I've had that foolishness long enough. And I have white folks that think I should just be quiet. Either you be a wall or you be a bridge. And the only way we can be God's people is to be a bridge. And that means you're going to get walked on. And you're going to have gum stuck to you. And you're going to have your underpinnings broken. But the only way we can do this is to link arms and to realize that's how we've always made changes. During the civil rights movement, white folk were there. The state of Minnesota was one of the first states that sent buses down there. We look at Reverend James Reeb and Viola Liuzzo and other white folks who were pulverized and killed and destroyed. A white woman with five children from Detroit shot dead in her car because she dared to make a difference. Yes, you may experience some anger from black folks and vitriol from white folks, but if you are God's person, you better stop worrying about self-protection and you better get in this game. Otherwise, you're not in for the fight. If you can't handle this fight, how are you gonna handle the deeper demonic things? You can't, you can't. It, we have to link arms. This is not about black folks hating white folks. This is not about all white folks being devils or whatever else people would say. This is about a spiritual battle of epic proportions. And it's about us seeing that the masks of racism in America are being torn off and that we see it not just in our, in our, you know, in the police precincts, we see it in churches. We see it in doctor's offices. We see it everywhere. Why? Because as human beings, we are sinful, despitefully mm. wicked. Mm. And, and, and cops don't get a pass. They are despitefully wicked yeah. without Jesus. We are all despitefully wicked without Jesus. I'm not giving black folk who are brutalizers or who have done evil things a pass. I'm not going to say we don't need, there aren't people that don't need to be held accountable. We all need to be held accountable for things. But history is a brutal taskmaster. And it's going to keep whipping us until we acknowledge it and say enough. Yeah. Until we have a holy uprising of epic proportions to say no. If you hurt her, we are, we are more brother and sister because of the blood of Jesus than the people who were in my family. And if you let your own brothers and sisters who are purchased with the same blood be brutalized, you are no family. You are no kin of mine. We can't keep doing this to each other. We can't keep professing Christ and, and then sh and shrugging shoulders. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That wasn't written with black people in mind. It wasn't even written with women in mind. So stop trying to be a, you know, a messenger of history if you don't know who they were talking about. Do your work. Go to the African American History Museum in Washington, D.C. Look at the Slave Bible, where they took out anything that had to do with freedom or equity, and they created a Bible to keep slaves brutalized. Read the Willie Lynch letter written by a, a, a slave owner who... In, from the West Indies, who came to the Americas to tell slave owners, you don't need to keep hanging your slaves, you're wasting your money. 
Instead, let me teach you how to make sure that they will never again riot. Teach the darker skinned blacks to hate the light skinned blacks. Teach those who work in the, slate, in, the, in the field to hate those that work in the house. Teach the younger ones to hate the older ones and despise them because then they will always love you, master. And they will always, go read it. You can look it up right now. Go read the Willie Lynch letter. letter. Go read Lerone Bennett's Before the Mayflower. Go read. If you don't want to read though, you want to read a Christian book, go read anything. I mean anything by Dr. John Perkins, one of the greatest heroes of my life who had every reason to hate and instead moved back to brutal Mississippi in the 1930s and has worked on behalf of black and white sharecroppers and the poor ever since and into his 90s. He is an icon. He loved a Klansman to repentance. Anything by Dr. John Perkins. His final book, One Blood, his final letter to the church. Go read, there, there's, there's no shortage. Go make yourself sick by looking at the brutality of, of, slave, of pictures and slavery. Imagine yourself being uh, linked for underneath the belly of a ship for months at a time where people are dying around you and women are giving birth around you and people are dying and bleeding out and they just get thrown over as shark bait. Go, go make yourself incense that these are not simply pictures. Go look at it. And if you feel like, why should, I, why should I have to look at this? Imagine living with it as your history. Imagine going to the South as I have and going to plantations and knowing who you'd be in the story every single time. Every single time, the wet nurse. Every single time, the mammy. Every single time, knowing my daughter would be sold away. Every single time. Every time, never a chance to be the mistress, never the chance to sit under the cool breeze, never the chance to have a beautiful dress, never. Always the mammy, always, always. And, and let yourself sit with the disgust of it because if you're not disgusted by it, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you because it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I I, uh, I kind of feel like we should leave it there. I don't have a whole lot to say, I, other than to I feel the Holy Spirit's conviction in what you're saying, and and I I'm ordering these books, and I love to read, but I'm I'll I'll, I'll admit I have not. Man, when something is distant, it's just incredible how callous you can become without even knowing it. And you know, this COVID crisis has kind of made you realize how the whole world is rallied around something that no one can escape right but when when it doesn't touch you or your family it's easy it's easy and it's not right and it is disgusting and and i for one am not where i should be on this i i think of david wilkerson and his call to anguish and that this cannot be a passing concern this needs to be a deep anguish and there's not been enough weeping uh, across the board and uh, I'm, I, for one, am guilty of that, and and so I'm sorry, and and uh, I'm I'm determined to do to do better. And we can we can do better, brothers, together. I mean, hear me, those who are listening. These guys, Ben and Aaron, are my brothers, like for real. I've seen their children. And I know that their children are being raised in a global world. I know that their children are being raised to look in the face of 
terrifying things that some of us have never seen, but also to see the face of miracles, right? These babies have been on the stage with their grandfather in places where if they didn't have the peace of Christ, those kids could be terrified. I've seen the videos. These dudes have made me a stronger believer. My job is, is to help them too. We're in this together. I, my, the, the, the brokenness of my heart is to say, we need you. I need help. We need help. I don't, I don't want to be the angry black woman. I'm the saved, sanctified woman. I am saved, y'all. And I understand what it is to do this hard work. This is not a matter of guilt and shame and condemnation. This is a matter of love and truth and saying, man, oh man, we have a lot of work to do. Um, I will give these guys a list of those books too. Maybe we can give you guys these books because these books have helped me. Um, Let me recommend Beyond. If you guys want anywhere to start, start with the John Perkins book and go, please go to the John and Vera May Perkins Foundation and just go on that website down there in Jackson, Mississippi. Go down as a family because you've got black folks and white folks living together in community, doing work to try to eradicate racism in the deep south. Hmm. It's a beautiful place. Go and take your children. They want you to live there. You sit there with Papa John Perkins and he sits there and teaches you Bible study on his porch. I'm telling you, there is nothing like it. You want to sit like a child and soak up everything that this man has to say. He is... He is a, a, a Dr. King among us. Um, if you have a chance, bring Reverend, Do- bring Bernice King, who we brought to Bethel. You talk about someone who still believes in nonviolent resistance, who carries the weight of her father, who looks like him, who sounds like him. I stared in her face when she was with me, and I could not believe that I was seeing the face Martin Luther King Jr. staring back at me, and I could not help but weep. Bernice King is only a few years older than me. We are one uh, day apart and about three years different. She was three years old when her father was killed. I was one when he was killed. Bring, bring her, listen to her. She does, she will come and she will teach you nonviolent resistance. I- I'm happy to help. If you're in the Twin Cities, let's get a bunch of us together and bring her. She was here a couple years ago and say, teach us the way of the civil rights movement and of nonviolent resistance and the way of love because she, she's carrying that burden. Um, there's a, a beautiful book written by a man named Edward Ball, a book that I read called Slaves in the Family. He was a white guy who grew up hearing about the Ball family lore and his family owning slaves. And when his grandfather died, he received the book that had the names of slaves in it. And he said he didn't feel guilty because he knew that that wasn't going to do anything, but he felt responsible. He felt responsible to know what kind of slave owners were we? Who were our ancestors? What did we do? This is the story, the slaves in the family, of him finding out, going all the way back and tracing his ancestry to Red Cap Elias Ball, who came here from Europe came here from England to found rice plantations. And he went as far as to find the African-American descendants of the slaves that his family owned. It is a beautifully written story of one white man's desire to reconcile 
his family past with the truth and to be responsible, not to ignore it, but to say, who were we? And he has written many books since then, but it is a beautifully written book that will stir your soul and help you to say, if he could do it, I could do it. Do your ancestry. Find out where your ancestors were from. There's lots of ways we can go at this. But hear this. We are called to be reconcilers. And we are like two sides of a coin. And that coin has different pictures and different pains on it. But nevertheless, we are fused together. And um, we have a history that is forever fused together. And we can't, um, I can't talk about history without you being a part of it. And you can't talk about history without me being a part of it. And so we have to find a courageous, tear-filled, bridge-building, heart-aching, lamenting way forward but for the sake of our children and our children's children and the world that is watching the church. Yeah. Yeah. For those who are walking away from the church saying, you don't believe in the God that you serve for the nuns who are slitting their throats and killing themselves because they don't believe the church really believes its own narrative hmm. for the sake of our evangelical cry for the sake of, babies in the womb, for the sake of those who are to come, we must do this work as believers. We've got to do this hard work together. So may God, who is our King, who can present us faultless before his throne, he can present us without a single fault. May he keep us and moor us and strengthen us and, and cause us to be rigorous advocates for truth, all truth in the days ahead. And may we be courageous warriors in a spiritual battle that we can only win on our faces. May he Amen. keep us and sustain us and help us to fight not each other, but with each other linking arms. May that King Eternal, who deserves all glory and honor and praise, may he Give us the courage to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, well, thank you, Laurel. Honestly, this has been intense and I need to soak in this and I need to wrestle with everything that you said because I, I really don't, if there's anything from this, I, I don't want this to fade. I need this to not, I, I need, it, it, this can come and go too fast. And I feel like, I think God is saying, by, by allowing us to see something so incredibly brutal, I feel like it, it has to evoke change, that something has to change. And I'm, if anything good can come out of this absolutely horrible situation is that it will actually lead to some real change. And it, it has to start with me. That's what I'm feeling and hearing. So I, I thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this is the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Uh, this will come out in about 24 hours in audio form, but we are grateful for you, Laurel. Uh, we're praying for you. And uh, we look forward to any way that, that God would allow us to partner together and uh, for those that are listening, read those books, uh, get on your face like I need to, and uh, be part of the change that, that we all need to see in the world. So thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. To listen to past episodes, search Provoke and Inspire on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found. See you next time. Mm-hmm.